Thank you for listening to this teaching from Table Church. We're in a series called 365 Forgiveness, where we're learning that forgiveness is not just a one-time event, but a lifestyle. We're glad that you're joining us as we look at one of the most world-changing ideas imaginable. And as always, if you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out at hello at tablechurchdsm.org. Enjoy. Well, thank you. Thank you, Megan. You're one of my favorites also. She's amazing. And you have some amazing people as your pastors here, Phil and Megan. I mean, what a gift that God has given you. And I think you believe that. I think you need to give them a hand, too. <laughs> um, it is wonderful to be here. I remember when Table Church was going to begin. And I, first of all, I loved the, the name uh, because I think that so much reflects who Jesus is. Everyone is at the table. There's a chair for every person at the table. Reminds me of a of a uh, HGTV thing, you know. I, sometimes when I want to go to sleep, I'll turn it on and it puts me to sleep. Uh, and uh, because it's really interesting, but you know, you don't have to think a whole lot. But I well remember this family that came in and uh, they wanted to design a house. They had 30 cousins and they wanted to design a house that would have a table and a chair for everyone. 30 cousins would sit down at the table, not these little extra tables around, you know, that most of us do or whatever, no, a table. What was interesting is they began to work with, I don't remember who it was, Property Brothers, I don't remember now who it was. But anyways, they began to work with them. They found out there were some things they had to give up in this grand house that they wanted to do if they were gonna have this big table because they had to begin to think, wait a minute, is the person more important than this other thing I wanted? And I, as I looked at that, and I, it was a fascinating story to watch, but I began to think of the table uh, that we have of the, of the body of believers. Everybody's welcome at the table. There's nobody that's not going to have a chair. We're not going to send anybody over to the kid's chair. We're not going to send anybody over here. But, you know, in that process, there are some, some favorite things we like or some of our own prejudices or some whatever we have to give up, right, so that everyone has a seat at the table. And I see that's what you're doing right here. Everyone has a seat at the table. And I love it, the, just the name of this, the table. And people coming to the table of God is so wonderful. I just want to share with you a few things before we get started this morning. God is at work in this world. And I love this worship band. You have an incredible band, I'm telling you. Give them a hand, too. And the, what they were singing about the, the uh, kingdom of God on earth, that's what God intended his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven and it isn't just some magic thing or a little dream we have it's hard work it's you it's the people of god that he's called to bring the values of the kingdom of heaven on this earth and that's what you're doing i spent yesterday over at the center the community center sorry what's the name of it ministry centers thank you uh and uh, i was so impressed by what all is happening in that place that's the kingdom of God on earth. You're doing it. And we come here today and we fuel ourselves up to go out to where we are to bring the kingdom of God. That's what we are. And your banners that you have back there on justice and God and discipleship, all of, that's what it all goes together with. But God is at work in this world. When I was um, in May, I was invited to go to Saudi Arabia, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, the capital of Saudi Arabia, to, be, to participate in the first ever multi-faith conference on the soil of Saudi Arabia. 
and I was invited there to speak about Jesus. Now, a few years ago, when you talked about Jesus in Saudi Arabia, your head was cut off. But God is working in some marvelous ways, and so I was there. And uh, I, I didn't really suffer. I mean, they paid me first class, paid first class all the way. And the meeting was in the Ritz-Carlton, so don't feel sorry for me. Um, I, so I didn't suffer. But it was interesting, the openness to talk about Jesus in that place. First ever, multi and I was, we talked about Islam, we talked about a Jewish religion, talked about Christianity, talked about this. But the first ever to even have that discussion there. Uh, there uh, Senator... Um, Brownback, he used to be from Kansas, was there. And I said to him, um, is this, is this, was this really quite important? And he said to me, I would have never missed this. This is the most historic occasion to ever happen on this soil. So God is moving in these ways. And it was fascinating when I was in the restaurant, and suddenly in the restaurant, a person, friend I was with had a big cross on it. One of the people working there from the Philippines he said, you're Christians? We are. And of course, we, we didn't have to be silent about it because that's why we were invited there. He said, you, I can't believe it. He said, I've got to tell you, we have a whole underground church going here in Saudi Arabia. Underground church of Christianity, of Christians, fellow believers coming together. Philippine. He said, and this conference is empowering us. Who would have ever thought a few years ago God would be at this? And do you know where the fastest growing underground cell church is today? In the country of Iran. Led by young women cell group ministry happening underground in the country of Iran, of people coming to Jesus. You see, God doesn't need a visa to get any place. He can go there himself, you know. And so the Holy Spirit is moving. And as you were singing about the power of the Holy Spirit moving today, I just wanted to share, and I can share with you many more things, but I just want you to know God is at work. Sometimes we get kind of caught up in where we are and, and forget that the God is still reigning in this world. And he's chosen to reign through you and what he wants to do through you. So as we look at the scripture this morning, we talk about forgiveness. I want us to first look at, and we sang the Lord's Prayer. And I want us to take a look at words of Jesus from Matthew, the sixth chapter. And that's the Lord's Prayer. But let's look at verse 12. This is where Jesus talks about forgiveness. He says, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, forgiveness is the only subject from the Lord's Prayer that Jesus reiterates. And in verse 14, he says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. Do you know what that means? It's not that, that Jesus is punishing us. He wants to set us free. Because when we don't forgive someone else, we've tied up ourselves. We can't do anything because our unforgiveness paralyzes us. Well, then, Jesus brings this up again when we go to, um, in, in John, as he is leaving, as he is leaving. He's, he's resurrected now, and I, I, tend, I just thought about how Jesus could say on that cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I don't know if I could have said that or not when I think of some of these things in my life. But I go to Jesus, and then I can say it because Jesus said it. He had the power. And here, then, is the resurrection that, that no one expected. 
And you know what? Even still, you would think after the resurrection, people would say, wow, well, he is the guy. We should all... No, no, no. They're still mad at him. Right? They're still mad at him. And Pilate, who, who, who was the one, finally one who washed his hands, I'm leaving this thing alone. You guys go ahead and do it. And he never did quite understand the resurrection and what took place. But then Jesus, the resurrection happens. Well, here we move on. And then some of the last words that Jesus said in John, the 21st chapter. Again, Jesus said to his followers, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. I remember one time doing a whole sermon on that word as. Because if you go back through the Old Testament, I mean, through, back through the New Testament, you see as. As Jesus did this, that's what he expects us to do. As Jesus did this, that's what we're to do. As Jesus did this, that's exactly what he said. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. God sends the Father. Father, I mean, the Father sends the Son. The Son sends us. And then he says this very next word that is interesting because we will see it happening. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if his, the breath of God, if we go back to creation, we find the chaos of the universe and God breathed on the chaos of the universe and creation happened. The power, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, the power of God. And now we find Jesus breathing, God breathing through Jesus on the disciples. Actually, it's kind of interesting as you go on back and you, you, see, you follow that whole idea of the breath of God all the way through. Many, many stories, but, but many examples of that throughout the Old Testament, the breath of God. We find in, in, the, um, in, in Ezekiel with those dry bones, God breathes on those dry bones. And suddenly, the neck and the... I, 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 didn't make, I didn't make a good grade in anatomy, so I really can't go through it too well. But they all get connected. The breath of God. Life in those dry bones. It says, can anything come of these dry bones? And God breathes, and life comes. And I think about that even personally in us. When we say, oh, I feel so dead inside the breath of God can bring life, brings life. And then we can move on. And then we find what happens after these very words that Jesus breathed on them. And that's the breath of God. And what does he say? Receive the Holy Spirit. And then we come on, you know, a few, a few weeks later. And here we are in Pentecost. And what do we see in the book of Acts? Is the breath of God. The wind blows and it's the breath of God that comes and breathes the Holy Spirit. Breathes life. And, and the hope and the power and the transformation that can take place. So he, and then here we have another little tidbit about forgiveness. And if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The powerful words. And, and it's not about punishment to us, it's about how God wants us. As I read this, I was reminded in World Hope, uh, we worked in, in Sierra Leone, still there, large, large work in Western Africa, Sierra Leone. But if you remember, if you've seen the movie Blood Diamonds, you remember the brutal war that happened in the, uh, in the late 90s there. 
and the way the mar rebels marked their territory was cut off people's arms and legs, and it was brutal. It was horrible. And we, we were there. Uh, in fact, just quickly, I'll tell you, I, it, was, it wasn't in the news here in the late 90s. It wasn't in the news, and I kept thinking, why isn't it in the news? And we were, we were distracted. We didn't care about this little country in West Africa where they were killing hundreds of thousands of people. And I, I sensed the Lord said, you need to go and get a story. And I thought, I don't, I, I'm not a journalist. I can't go get a story. And so I met this young man who just graduated from university, and he started telling me how good he was. He made an A in this and an A in that. And he said, I'll go with you, and we'll get a story, and I won't charge you anything. So I thought, I believe this kid. I mean, after all, he made an A, you know, whatever. And so I had some other people, and we got on a plane and started to Sierra Leone, West Africa. And I have to go to Europe first and down. And about halfway across the Atlantic, I thought, I need to take a look at this kid's stuff. For goodness sakes, Joanne, what's wrong with you? You didn't bet this kid at all. And I looked at his stuff, and it was horrible. It was horrible. I mean, he couldn't get the camera right. He couldn't write. His writing was terrible. Oh, dear Lord, what in the world have I done? Then I started thinking about, you know, God says he'll give us the gifts that we need. And I started quoting everybody and every prosperity preacher in the world that ever preached that and everything else. And um, so all the way, Lord, you're going to give me the gift of photography, and you're going to give me the gift of journalism. And I had a little camera about two steps above an old-time brownie. And uh, well, I'm gonna, we're going to get this. Well, is, I'm sure God was laughing, actually, having a good time. When well, we landed in the capital city of Freetown, here I'm gonna, the Lord's going to show me these gifts he's going to give me. I was getting my bags at the carousel. This man came up to me, put out his hand, and he said, Hello, my name is blah, blah, blah. I'm a foreign correspondent for the Washington Post. I'm in here to get a story. Is there some way you could help me? Now, I want to tell you, when you say you prayed and God wants to do beyond your imagination, that was far beyond my imagination. I mean, I wanted to go, I wouldn't have slept with that man that night, but I wanted to sleep at his door just to make sure he didn't get away. And um, so we had, he, he was in a guest house, no hotels. If you saw the movie Blood Diamonds, the one thing, there was no Hilton Hotel there, so just let you know the truth. <laughs> and um, we were staying in guest houses, and I got his guest house, and our, our Wesleyan leaders in Sierra Leone were there and picked us up and knew where to take us. And he and I traveled together for three days. And I will never forget all the conversations. I don't have time to tell you all those today. But one of the places that we went was a camp of 1,200 people, amputees, who had been literally slaughtered by the rebel soldiers. Six-week-old babies, arms cut off. Men, both hands cut off. Men, both arms cut off. Women who had been just like that in their back with a machete. I couldn't I'd go on and on. And he, got, he began to talk with one woman and her daughter. And she talked about how she was out planting her ground nuts, those are peanuts. And the rebels came. They grabbed her, her uh, daughter, five-year-old daughter. She grabbed her back, and then they put her arm over on the root of a cotton tree and chopped her arm off, and then her five-year-old daughter. And there they stood with no arms below their left elbow. He was so captured by that. I'll never forget as we walked back to the vehicle that day. He said, Joanne, what are you going to do about this? And I, I, I said, you know what? Only God can do something. And I kept thinking that text in Romans. We overcome evil with good. That's God. Anyway, he comes back to the States, front page, the picture of Mrs. Kamara and her daughter and the whole story. And Clinton was the president then. He immediately sent a special envoy to Sierra Leone and Tony Blair from England sent a special envoy. And they began to become involved in this. And I just wanted to say, and we opened up, ultimately he helped us. I get a long story in there. But we ended up opening up in a center for amputees in the capital city, downtown capital city. We were able to get prosthetics. We were able to do all kinds of things. We began to train people to do their own prosthetics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
But the story on forgiveness is interesting. One day, one of our amputees was walking down the street, and he came face to face with a man who cut off his arm. He said, I wanted to run. I did not want to see that man. <clears throat> I was afraid he'd cut off my other arm. And he said, but it was as if God put a rod right up my back. And I walked up to him, and I didn't even realize I was doing it. I put out my hand to him. And he said that rebel soldier took his hand. It, it wasn't his hand. It was a, a terminal device. It was the end of the hand that had been cut off. So it was kind of like a hook type thing. He put that out to him, and that rebel soldier grabbed it. And he looked at him, and he said, God just spoke through me. And God said, he said, I said to him, before World Hope and Jesus gave me this limb, I would have sought vengeance. But today I can forgive you. He said that rebel soldier held on to his, his, his terminal devices, artificial hand there. And then he didn't know what was going to happen. And then he saw these huge tears going down the face of this wicked, evil rebel soldier who had done such dastardly deeds. And he looked at this, yeah, this, this amputee and he said, I never thought I could know forgiveness. Many times, my friends, when we offer someone forgiveness, they, they're asking for it, they're begging for it. They've never thought they could have it. So I just want to encourage you, as we work through this morning, some of the people that are hard to forgive, some of the difficulties that we have in forgiveness, that it doesn't make the other person right. It makes you free to be able to forgive. So let's look at this. I have this slide that says those very words. Sometimes after you're struggling with it, you still say, oh, I still hate them. I've said that. I should never tell you that, but I have. And... Uh, Forgiveness does not make the other person right. It makes you free. It sets you free from being controlled by the person that so has harmed you. And again, this morning on forgiveness, I want to make it very clear that we're not talking about when we forgive somebody, it makes what they did right. It does not. Justice needs to take place. And I'm talking about many people who've suffered abuse of all kinds of things that are horrible. That justice needs to take place. It doesn't make them right but it makes them from controlling you, the power of controlling you. That's what happens when we hold unforgiveness, that we're thinking about them all the time, and, and we can't get away from it. I was with a pastor from Mother Emanuel Church in Char Char Charleston, South Carolina, if you remember, the man who came in and, um, and into a Bible study and killed all the people, seven people in that Bible study that day in Charleston, South Carolina. And I was with him just a few weeks ago in a meeting in Washington, D.C. And we were talking about that, and I, and I said, you know what? The world was stunned that your church could come out and say, we forgive uh, Mr. Roof. Uh, I forgot his first name, Roof. And that we, we forgive him. But I said that didn't excuse that justice still had to take place. We couldn't get, keep, just keep doing it. So I want to make it clear, when we forgive and some of these terrible things that have taken place, it doesn't mean it needs to keep going. No, it just sets you free, and justice needs to take place. So let's take a look a minute at um, what forgiveness is not. What I just said, forgiveness is, is not about just forgetting it. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is working so that it doesn't happen again. Forgiveness is not excusing. Well, we could have excused so-and-so. Let's take the Charlotte example. 
We could have excused, oh, well, maybe he didn't quite know what he's doing or, or whatever. No, it's not excusing. It should not happen again. Uh, just interesting thing. We're dealing in our country today, and all of you realize this, it seems like every day there are shootings, there are hate-fueled violence happening every single day someplace. And I, 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 so it was interesting. I'll share this with you. And this is, has nothing to do with politics at all because it was a bipartisan meeting. But uh, September 15th, I was invited to the White House to talk about, and it was in a meeting. We had a meeting at, in the East Wing from 10 in the morning till 5 in the evening. What? And it was bipartisan. What do we do? And it was many clergy people there as well. What do we do about the hate-fueled violence in our country? What can we do about it? This is about all of us. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent. Green Party? I don't know. That's in Canada, I guess. Do we have one here? I don't know. But anyway, whatever. It's not about that. And as I've come away from that, and they honored some folks who are uniters and people who are really working at this in every level uh, across, across the spectrum, and I began to think, uh, you know what? This is the people of God. This is us, the people of God. Because at the root of this, and I think we need, we certainly need discussions about guns, and we need discussions about mental health, and we need discussions of policy. We need public, all of that. But at the root of this is the heart and how we, God, only God can help us with a changed heart. And what is that? That's us, his people. So I've been working around with pastors and things and what you're doing. And I just want to say what you're doing in your community center is, I keep saying the wrong name, ministry center. Thank you. Um, is, is, is working against, about this hate fuel violence. What you're doing, and it's the love of God. When the Holy Spirit comes, he pours out his love through us. His love flows through us. And so as we deal with our own issues of unforgiveness, the Holy Spirit helps us to deal with that so that it doesn't stop the love from flowing. Unforgiveness will stop the love from flowing because we get too self-centered. Well, I'm getting off here. Um, forgiveness is not the same as smothering conflict. You know what I mean by smothering? Now, in a funny way, I've smothered a conflict within our family. When Uncle Harold or Aunt May come to visit, I've said to the kids, when we have four kids, okay, now, don't say this to Uncle Harold, it'll make him mad. Don't say this to Aunt May, it'll make her mad. Don't do it. And so finally the kids would get off confused what they were supposed to say, and they'd say one thing that they shouldn't say to Uncle Harold, they'd say to Aunt May, and blah, blah, blah. You know how that is. So I was trying to smother the conflict. But finally, in this, we have to face it. And God can help us on reconciling and recon rec reconciliation. That's he is the God of reconciliation, what we just sang about today. Forgiveness is not just accepting people. And forgiveness is not just, well, I'll just tolerate you. Have you ever thought about that? I, I don't want to be just tolerated by somebody. I mean, I, I've had somebody say, well, I'll just tolerate you, you know, because you don't, I don't agree with you on something or other. Well, does that, that's not accepting. That's not forgiveness. That's not anything. That's just Oh, well, if you have to be around, then I guess you'll just have to be around. I'm not really eager to be around you. Now, let's take a look at really how do people forgive. We forgive slowly. Particularly deep hurts. We forgive slowly. It takes time to forgive. And I have found that as I, I work at this, God brings more things to mind. So that is, means to me, why did Jesus also, he knew we were going to have issues. So Jesus, what did Jesus say? Love your enemy. Pray for your enemy. Pray for your enemy. 
Now, most of the time, I think we get sidetracked and we'll say, well, I just don't like them. They're not my enemy because we're not quite sure. Enemy sounds really, really terrible. But I think we have more enemies in our life than we think we do. Uh, uh, pray for your enemy. Well, I'll just, this is a little funny story, but uh, years ago, many years ago, I used to be an elementary school teacher in, down in Kansas City. And um, I had a principal. I didn't like him. He didn't like me. We were mutual in that. And I was always trying to one-up him, and then the next day he tried to one-up me. I don't know if you've ever had relationships like that or not, but anyway, I'm going to get him. I'm finally going to make him do what he thinks he, or I'm going to make him say he's sorry, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do this. And he was the same way with me. So it was back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I remember one day it occurred to me, good night, Mr. What's his name? Mr. Blank. I'm thinking about him more than I'm thinking about my husband. You know? <laughs> I'm thinking about him more than anything else because I'm, I'm going to win on this. And I realized, goodness, he's taking all of my thinking time. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this is what I mean. You need to pray for your enemy. Well, goodness, I didn't want to pray for him because it sounded like I wanted him to prosper. I don't want him to prosper. I want him to suffer. So I started in. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to pray for his wife then. That's who I'm going to pray for, not him. So I started praying for his wife. Dear Lord, you know what a terrible man Mr. Blaw is. And I pray that you'll just help her to know how to live with him and, and give her strength and give her, you know, on and on and on. But you know what was interesting how God did this? The more I prayed for her, the more God gave me insight into him. His weaknesses, his fears, his past, what he was trying to overcome. So when God tells us to pray for our enemy, he really is wanting, he, in our praying for him, he begins to help us understand them. And you know what? It wasn't long until I thought, oh, I don't need it. I've got more things in my life to do. I don't need to fight with Mr. Baldwell anymore. And he was kind of surprised because I wasn't, if he wanted to win that argument that day, I didn't care. To my surprise, one Sunday, we were pastoring in that area, and I had never invited them to church, and I hate, hate to confess this, but I probably didn't even want him to come to church. Now, that's not very good if you're the pastor. And I looked down, and here was he and his wife and three children sitting on that third row in church that morning. I was stunned, and I thought, this is what God needs when he says, pray for your enemy. He has to change you. He gives you insight. Somehow, I don't know. I mean, I'm stunned that he felt comfortable even come to church where I was. About the third Sunday in, I saw he and his wife and three children come forward and accept the Lord. That's what God means when he says, pray for your enemy. So you, it slowly, it, it happens, and, and God wants to move through us, and uh, he moves in different ways, and it's, a, it, it's, it's also with that is understanding. That's what, when we begin to pray for our enemy, it's about understanding. Um, and it's getting confusion. Was I, did I get all the point? Did I have one, two, three, a straight line? No. Forgiveness is a confusing thing. You're in confusion. and You have anger left over, and there's anger that goes along with it. And it's a little at a time. But finally, it had to be freely, or it wasn't going to happen. If I hadn't begun to get get uh, understanding in that and freely say, I want rid of this. I don't want to carry this anymore. It had to be freely or it's not going to take place. 
Well, sometimes we say, I just can't do it. I give up. A few years ago, I was on one of these, but I just don't think I can do it. The, set, the, the, art, the act of forgiving by itself is a wonderfully simple act, but it always happens inside a storm of complex emotion. So just realize that. It's going to be a lot of complex emotions in this. Don't think you're not doing it. It's happening. But the emotions are complex. It is the hardest trick in the whole bag of personal relationships. I think we would all agree on that, wouldn't you? It is hard. So people who are hard to forgive. The parent who died is hard to forgive. You wish you could have said things. You wish things hadn't happened the way they did. But I want to tell you, I, I, I also worked as a therapist, and I well remember working with a young woman, very deep things, and she thinks she wished she had said these. Finally, we found, went to the grave of her father, and she wrote all these things, and we prayed. And that day, there was freedom that came to her own soul. She said finally the things she wanted to say to her father. Sometimes we just have to write it down. And here's where we trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. Because we, the Holy Spirit wants you to be free, folks. Wants you to be free so you can do, he can do the things through you that he wants to do. He wants to set you free. People hard to forgive. The invisible mother who gave her child away. We have two adopted children. And, and I, I thought of that, though, and, and in those days when we adopted, it was, it was closed adoption, so we didn't know who these mothers were. And I thought of them many times, the, the decision they had to make to give this child away. And then with my own children, where the, the feelings of somehow early rejection that took place, and we had to work through all of that. I'll never forget one morning when our second child, his eight, son, 18, my husband got a call at his office this day, and this woman had tracked us down. And uh, she called the office, and she gave her my husband her name, and she said, I had your child 18 years ago. Now, that kind of took my husband by surprise. And he said, no, ma'am, I've been faithful to my wife all these years. <laughs> you get where I'm going now. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 I mean you adopted the child I gave birth to 18 years ago. Oh, and she said, I, she, she was gone. She said, I just need forgiveness. My situation in life and what it was. I'll never forget that day when he came home. He was weeping and, and we talked to our son. And there was this, and then, and then she went on to say, the biological father of his had abandoned her when she became pregnant. She had no idea what ever happened to him. But six weeks prior to that time, he had called her and asked forgiveness. I'll never forget that day. Our son had never seemed to struggle by being adopted and so forth. I'll never forget that day when he heard that story. And she had called about the father that asked forgiveness and that she wanted to know if, we, if there could be forgiveness for her, etc. I'll never forget our 18-year-old strapping young man that I loved dearly. Tears started going down his face. I can't express it. But somehow all this forgiveness stuff sets me free inside. You know, sometimes it's a mystery. You don't know what all is taking place. It becomes mysterious. 
power of God at work. hard to forgive people who do not care. They do not care whether they're forgiven or not. Those are the worst because you're suffering and they are suffering. You're suffering because of them and it seems that they don't even care. And yet at the same time, if you aren't careful, you'll be tied up with that to force them to know that they have to forgive and that you've got to it's hard, but finally they can no longer control you with their no care attitude. And you know another group that's very hard to forgive is the church. When you have been hurt by a body of believers that you've trusted, you've given your heart to, and they have hurt you, that's very hard to forgive. But I want to tell you, if you aren't careful, you will hold that and it turns to bitterness. Unforgiveness turns to bitterness. It will turn to rage and then it just lodges in your soul of hardness. And the Lord wants to move through you in ways you cannot imagine. But that kind of thing will keep you from the Holy Spirit moving freely through you. And I think today we're dealing with a lot of that. As I move around and I'm involved in a lot of different churches and denominations and groups, and I run into this a lot, and my heart grieves, and I know the heart of God grieves, because these are people that are that are, are treating brothers and sisters in some of the worst ways. And I just pray that if that's anyone in this place today, that you can get free of that pain and hurt, and let God handle you see, there, there, there's this, this prayer of relinquishment that I've learned a long time ago, and I just want to say I pray it. The prayer of relinquishment, when you pray it, it isn't just, well, I'm going to pray that prayer today. That's not the way that works. It's hard. And I'll just give you an example out of my own life. Um, uh, for 10 years, we had no children. We wanted children. And the doctor finally said that, he had a lot of great bedside manners. He finally, this is down in Kansas City too, he knocked on the wooden door and he said, you're as sterile as this wooden door. You might as well go out and produce other things. You're never going to produce children. So, okay, well, thank you. <laughs> I was working in the inner city of Kansas City at that time. I remember putting my head on the desk back to my office. Well, I guess I'll produce life here. Now, that sounded really noble at that moment. But you know when you begin to live with some of those, those statements that are made? You think, I'll never be able to make it. But you know what happened? I listened for a while. I was okay. And then resentment began to climb in my heart. Well, why does she have a baby? I'd be a better mother than she would be. You know, that's arrogant, isn't it? And uh, why did this happen? Or why does this happen? And then I found I was becoming more and more angry uh, with God. And angry at myself, couldn't forgive myself. What did I do? What did I, maybe I, maybe there's something I did back in my younger days that this is God's punishment on me. Satan can tell you all kinds of things, friends. I just want you to know that. Angry with myself, couldn't forgive myself. One morning we were dedicating a baby. 
and I just started leaving that morning, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you have resentment in your heart against me. And I thought, no, 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 I don't, Lord, I'm not blaming you. you know, blah, blah, blah. And I made a choice, I could make a choice that morning. I could either be a fist and resign to what things were going to be, and I could say, well, okay, this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to get through this. Come hell or high water, we'll make it. That's what I, uh, theologian, one of my, that I like a lot, used to refer to this, Fitzsimmons, used to refer to this as teeth gritting Christianity. How many of us just have teeth gritting Christianity? I'll get through this. Or you have the other choice of the open hand. Relinquishment. Catherine Marshall, still her book, Adventures in Prayer. You can still get it on, the, on Amazon. Little booklet. She has a whole section there on the prayer of relinquishment. And it is open hand. You don't know what's going to happen. But you say, Lord, in that morning at that church service in the inner city of Kansas City, I said, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. I have no idea. But I can't carry this any longer. I trust you with what you're going to do. And I look forward to what you're going to do. It's not now, if I do this, it's magic, and you're going to do what I want. No, no, no. It's not that. It's total relinquishment. You don't know what God's going to do. I look forward to what you're going to do with this because I can't carry this anger at myself, anger at you, disappointment in other people. Oh, I cannot carry this any longer. I look forward to what you're going to do. I'll never forget leaving that morning. My heart was free. There's a certain peace that just left me inside. Well, make a very long story short, in a few months, God opened a marvelous door to adopt our first child. Six months later, to adopt a second child. Now, this is a little more than I had in mind. I mean, two babies in 13 months, that was a little, that was a little more than I had in mind back that day. But anyway, okay. Three years later, I was pregnant. Had that baby. Six months later, I was pregnant again. Had that baby. So that was more than I kind of had bargained for, I think, that day. Four children in five and a half years. And I love every one of them. And God's granted us a wonderful family. But I look back to that church, in, and somebody would say, well, God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. No, no, no. He has given us free will. He's given us choices, my friends. And I'm sure today I would never have this. We would, God would have never graced us with this wonderful family had not that prayer of relinquishment act. I give it to you. I look forward to what you're going to do. That's what God, how God wants to move through us in our journeys of forgiveness. And then finally, in this last one, it's God. God does not need our forgiveness. <laughs> but we blame him. And so sometimes we have to forgive we have to go through the process of forgiving God, so to speak. But I want to tell us, tell you, God is with you. There's a great picture in Ellie Weissel's book, Night. And he tells the story. He's, he's a, a Holocaust survivor. And he was in the, in, in, in the camp, in the big prison with his family. And there they are. And the, the guards were concerned because suddenly... The, the, um, uh, the, the, 
the people, the prisoners are not, they're getting unruly and they think, okay, we got to get them back in control again. They've got to know that we're still in charge. And so they decided they would execute and hang a family, an entire family, a mother, daughter, a father, mother, and three children all together in front of everybody. So they called out all the prisoners, all standing there. And they had the gallows, and they had them there. And as they pulled the rope, all of them would be hung and die at the same time. And now the guards had decided, now we'll get control of all of these prisoners again. So they pulled it. Mother, father, two children died immediately, hung there. But the third child, the, the, the gallows were too, too large, and he didn't die immediately. And he's writhing in death and writhing in pain in front of all of that group. With a sneer, one of the guards calls out and says, Where is your God now? And from the back of that room, an old rabbi speaks. Voice weakened from hunger, but strong in faith. And he speaks, he says, our God is writhing with that child. And I just want to tell you this morning, my friends, God is with you in these processes of forgiveness. He's not saying, I'll take you in once you do it. No, he's with you in the process. And he wants to see you free so that you can do more than you have ever thought or imagined, as Paul says in Ephesians in your life for what you are made to be. Don't be stopped by unforgiveness. But let that freedom go to be what God intended to do through you even when you were born. He had a plan for you. And he wants to do that through you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, we come to you. We thank you that you love us more than we can comprehend. And I pray this morning that people, every person in this place will be set free. May they not, the hurt and the pain, the hurts that I've entitled this that we don't deserve, set us free, I pray, Lord Jesus. You long to do it. And so this morning we relinquish it to you. And we look forward to all that you're going to do that brings glory to you and brings uh, justice and peace and mercy in this in our daily lives and with the people with whom we we work and more that you want to do through this body of believers in this church Lord I I just can't imagine all that you want to do through them right here in the city of Des Moines and I thank you the healing that you want to take place this day in Jesus name